The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio. Thanks very much to Sue Marchant for the last couple of hours. Tomorrow evening on home, it's Stu Ren. Welcome to the Gadget Guide. Yeah, welcome along to Gadget Guide show number 250 with the latest tech news, and then we'll look at all the recent news from Google I.O. 2023. And it's time to take a look now at this week's technology news. And we've got the usual assortment, and we'll start off with uh, with Apple. And this is the demise of my photo stream in preference or sort of heading towards everything being iCloud. Now, I have to say I'm not an Apple user myself. I didn't realise that they had two offerings in this space to start with. iCloud <laughs> Photos is the one that I was always aware of. Mm. And my photo stream that I've not heard of, if I'm entirely honest, apparently it's going away. 26th of July. It was the predecessor to iCloud Photos. So, you know, if you've been on an Apple platform for long enough... You might have used this. Now, it was limited in its uh, in its uh, heyday to a 1,000 pictures of maximum, which doesn't sound like a lot, uh, but would sync that across every Apple device, so your iPhone, your iPad, and your MacBook. Um, but yes, as you said, they've been moving everything over to the iCloud platform, which makes a lot of sense and is pretty much free for most Apple users, so it is still going yeah, to be I a, a, a platform. Maybe if you were... Yeah, if if you were more of a, a kind of Mac first user, perhaps mm. you might have ended up more on the uh, on the My Photo stream. Whereas if you're, as I suspect many folks are nowadays, if you're primarily sort of taking your photos on your iPhone, your iPad, then you're more likely to have been guided into that um, uh, iCloud photos yeah. from from the start. Yeah, I mean the the My what's it called again uh, my photo stream my, my, is yes is 12 years old now uh, so is iCloud it turns out but um, yes they yes. Launched, launched them at the same yeah. time and were trying to work out basically what was going to be the best way to synchronize photos and videos quickly so that someone shooting a photo or a video on their phone could get it very quickly on their MacBook yes and this of course is something that uh, has been becoming increasingly prevalent with uh, Dropbox, Google Photos if you're in the Android ecosystem, um, iCloud Photos if, if you're in the Apple world, where as soon as you take something on your phone or other device, it just gets pushed up into the cloud and that makes it available from your desktop or your laptop or, or, or whatever other uh, devices you have. Of course, with all of these things, it tends to be some free allowance of, of a so handful of gigabytes. I, I can't, our cloud photos is, is five gigabytes. Yep. Um, or you can uh, you can take out one of their plans. Not not tremendously expensive, and I I suspect for many folks it's going to be um, a case that they end up on one of these services at least, whether that's um, Apple storage. Yeah, that starts at, at fifty gigs of storage going up to, to two terabytes um yeah most folks are going to end up paying for for one of these cloud storage platforms whichever one happens to work best with the people and the devices they're using one little tip and most people would probably get this in, as an advantage straight away is amazon photos is included with amazon prime gets you unlimited full resolution photo storage and five gigabytes of video so that's an interesting. Yes, that's a good point. That's, option. Uh, that, that's one I've not really played 
played with too much. And of course, the other uh, nice thing about that is if you use any of Amazon's TV products, so uh, the Fire TV stick or or any of that family, um, then you can very easily display your Amazon Photos albums yes. as a TV sort of digital uh, digital artwork. So as you have your TV on, you can have it automatically scrolling through your photo albums, which I think is quite quite a nice touch if you've got folks around and, and just want to have a look at some uh, some recent photos. Yeah, it also turns your Echo Show devices into little digital photo frames, which is quite nice. Ah, uh, that's true. Yes, I've, I've still got one of the uh, the first generation uh, Echo Shows, and uh, I'm not sure it can uh, can manage that. But it has only got a sort of three or four inch <laughs> round screen. <laughs> um, I've not yet traded it in for one of the uh, one of the bigger ones. Yes. Anyway, sticking in the Apple space and moving across to uh, rumours about the iPhone 15, and um, we're seeing some fairly reliable rumours that the iPhone 15 Pro and Ultra, so the top end ones in the range, will have ultra fast USB C. So this is now, going this to be is slightly burying the lead that the iPhone 15 across the range is going to have USB-C. And th this is the change that we've been uh, <laughs> we've been hearing rumours about, sort of thinking when's it going to happen. The iPad went USB-C a while back. So far, the iPhone has stuck to the Lightning connector, um, but they are finally all going to USB-C. That means that you're going to be probably using the same charger for your iPhone, your iPad possibly your laptop, well, your Android your, your, devices, pretty much everything else. MacBook's already USB-C uh, power, so yes. Um, but the interesting thing is the, the rumour is that the iPhone 15 Pro and Ultra will get the same USB-C connector that's in the latest iPad Pro, which is Thunderbolt 4 data transfer of up to 40 gigabits a second, which is a lot faster than uh, Wi-Fi considerably for, oh well, about four times faster than Wi-Fi 6 and 80 times faster than Lightning. Yes, that's quite a lot faster. And I think this is one of those things where people are... It, it's very confusing because if you just look at a USB-C connector or a USB-C cable, you can't tell how fast it goes. <laughs> you can't tell that this one's 10 times faster than that one. And it's not even obvious when you plug it in. Um, but there is this enormous difference in, in speed range, isn't there, between just plain USB-C, USB-C 3.2, and that with Thunderbolt 3 or Thunderbolt 4. Yes, this is certainly going to be the sort of thing that uh, people shooting... ProRes 4K video on their phones are going to appreciate because 4K video at ProRes is 6 gigabytes of data per minute. That's chunky stuff to have to shift around and if you're wanting to download stuff that you're actually creatively producing for whatever content that you're delivering, uh, what platform you're feeding to, you want it to be relatively quick and easy. But uh, we'll wait and see what uh, comes out at the Worldwide Developers Conference in a week or so's time. Yep, and good news all around that it is USB-C as well. I'm just going to throw that one out there as well. Although, for anyone has been Apple Ecosystem, sorry, you're going to need a new charging cable. <laughs> yes. Um, moving on to the uh, to the gaming world then, so a few stories here. Nintendo um, are in the news this week because uh, they've issued a legal notice um, to the creators of the uh, the open source Dolphin GameCube um, and uh, and Wii emulator. So this is uh, uh, something that lets you play some of the uh, the games that were designed for for those platforms, the GameCube and the Wii, um, on other platforms. So uh, specifically, this was uh, this was listed on Steam, so would have been used for a lot of PC gamers, and meaning that 
yeah, the, those folks could play some of those uh, those Nintendo games. Nintendo obviously very keen for that not to happen. Um, their platform is is something they you know they they try to keep very tight control of. They want to sell the hardware. Not too happy with people playing the games that they've commissioned for their platform over on uh, on the PC. Yes, or specifically on Steam. But uh, so yes. Um uh, the uh, team at Steam and Valve have said that uh, they've had to announce that Dolphin on Steam has been indefinitely postponed due to the DMCA against the Dolphin Steam engine. Uh, so yes, I guess um, it's just not going to be that easy for people to play old Wii content. I mean, the, fa- the fact that you can't buy the console anymore is, is irrelevant. Uh, Nintendo just defending the rights of their older kit. And the interesting thing is the emulator itself, the Dolphin emulator, still available on GitHub, the uh, the sort of software development platform. Um, so you can still go and download it, but you have to do a bit more work to actually get it up and running. So it's not completely gone, but it's not the sort of point and click uh, thing that it used to be just by going along to Steam and uh, Steam and downloading it from there. I think all the geeks who probably want to play Wii games via an emulator will be able to work out how to do it. Yeah, I suspect that's true. Um, staying in the uh, the gaming world now, uh, the MetaQuest 3 VR headset, um, that's uh, that's due to be launched, uh, rumours have it, uh, October, and they're, uh, they're aiming, the, uh, aiming the price at coming in cheaper than Apple's headset. Um, now, we've not seen Apple's headset yet, but... Um, Next week, maybe. Of the, uh, the, yeah, exactly. Um, next next version of uh, Meta, that's the company behind Facebook, um, their uh, Metaverse headset, uh, looking like it should be out the lat- latter part of this year. Yeah, so of course the uh, Quest 3 headset is going to have more features than the Quest 2 headset. Uh, so um, it will have um, more corner-positioned infrared cameras to, to pass through video from the world outside to your headset inside. Um uh, position tracking cameras, uh, volume rockers, and a lens adjustment wheel. So that's going to make it a lot more comfortable to use, being able to adjust the focus for your eyes. And um, I believe individually for each eye is being thought about as well. Um, so and I, yes. I think that's that's something that that's quite a new concept. And as well as the the focus, it's also the distance between your eyes. Yes. Um, and anyone that uses microscopes on, on a regular basis is probably going to be and, and binoculars as well um, is going to be quite used to that concept of of trying to sort of stretch or squeeze them to to fit the way that your eyes work. Um, with with VR headsets, it's the same deal. You've got two eyes. You're going to show them different images. You need to be um, able to adjust those for, for the size of your head. And that means you can't just simply take the headset off, give it to someone else, and expect them to get the best experience straight off. Yep. Well, we'll um, be w- working out what Apple's Reality Pro headset looks like in, uh, like I said, about a week's time, and then waiting a little bit longer to see what the Quest 3 looks like towards the end of the year. Yep, very good. Um, NVIDIA, this is now in the, the sort of the GPU market, um, is, uh, is is sort of being a, a bit more of a play at, uh, uh, at their, um, uh, their graphics processors. This is a, a market that's slightly, uh, slightly curious because it started off 
focus very firmly on on people playing computer games and doing 3D design. Um, GPUs now used as much for things like machine learning and artificial intelligence as they are for doing things that are directly graphics. And that means sometimes folks are wanting to put them in servers now where you don't necessarily have a screen or any kind of out, you know, display device connected. Um, NVIDIA now, uh, now looking at some infrastructure to, uh, to support that. Yes, and uh, putting them in servers has been a thing for quite a while, certainly in the day job. I have servers which have got GPUs in them doing biopharma-type calculations and computations, so certainly get used in the pharmaceutical research space um, and also in things like genome sequencing and DNA sequencing and so on. A lot of those can be improved using GPUs, so it does make a lot of sense on increasing the availability of GPUs in server-end platforms. So NVIDIA working closely on... Um, coming up with a best practice design for the servers themselves to support their GPUs and their uh, accelerators to deliver the best best results. Because basically if you bought a, a server from the likes of a Dell or an HP, it might not necessarily be optimised as much as it could be to run that particular accelerator. So interesting that NVIDIA are making this an open design for servers so you might start to see the big boys, the Dells, the HPs, the Lenovo's and so on of the world, adopting this into their design platforms as well. Sticking with uh, NVIDIA for a a moment longer, um, they're also reported to be uh, working with MediaTek, um, who are uh, another system designer, um, getting ready to, to ship their next mobile devices running Windows on ARM. Now, (laughs) there's a lot to unpack there. Um, Windows, hopefully that bit's fairly self-explanatory. ARM, that's the Cambridge company uh, that you might have heard of. They make uh, the actual design of the processors that are used in a lot of mobile devices and also the core of Apple's uh, M1 and M2 chips. So, Apple, when they launched their uh, their own Apple Silicon, based on ARM technology, um, got very, very good battery life, very good uh, kind of performance for, for heat output um, with their laptops. NVIDIA now trying to obviously get in on that market, trying to bring Windows on mobile devices with perhaps better battery life, better thermal performance than we've seen from uh, from Intel's chips. It'll be interesting if we get some competitors in. I'm guessing the best place that this would slot in is things like competitors to Microsoft Surface tablets um, because that sort of form factor lends itself well to these types of chips and this type of flavor of Windows. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those, another one to watch and see what comes out of it. Um, but also, there is going to be an interesting shift on whether their uh, MediaTek's main focus, which is right now on entry-level cr- Chromebooks, maybe they will start to improve the, the quality of the stuff in Chromebooks because the entry-level ones do work. They're not great as soon as you become a more advanced user. Yeah, and, uh, I guess... Maybe the hope there is that with the same kind of cost and form factor of hardware as you see with a, a Chromebook, actually, instead of running Chromos, which is uh, a relatively basic, very web-orientated uh, operating system, you know, if that could run full-on Windows, maybe that could uh, open those devices up to a, a whole new market. As you say, things like Ultrabooks and uh, and tablets are really the... Uh, uh, the the key ones there at the moment those are 
very much limited by how much heat they can get out of the <laughs> get out of the casing quickly enough. Um, so even if you have a fast processor, it doesn't stay fast for very long as the thing warms up. Yes, sticking in the Microsoft space, and Microsoft recently released Windows 11 version 22H2, so second half of 22. And that was dubbed Moment 3. Um, and also a, uh, a special configuration update, which quietly sneaked into that, which did some performance-related enhancements. And they have just released details of what those enhancements will have been. So they're saying that they have improved the frequency, uh, the frequently used shell interactions like taskbar, notifications, quick settings by as much as 15%. They're getting users into productivity faster by improving the time it takes to get to the desktop by 10% and reducing the impact of startup apps by 50%. So, in other words, after that reboot, you are back and running an operating system that works quicker. Making PCs more sustainable with energy recommendations and carbon-aware Windows update. Now, this one's really cool. Now, we, we, we've talked about this, I think, in the past, and the idea here is that it knows, your computer can know when your national power grid is running at its greenest, and that's normally overnight, but not always. You know, sometimes if it's very sunny, it's in the middle of the day when lots of solar power is available as well. And hey, we should do the Windows updates when the power grid is, is greenest, when we're generating the most renewable energy, um, then that's the time to go and spend a little bit of that energy doing updates rather than just you know, always picking midnight or, or something like that. Yeah, so don't be surprised if your laptop or your desktop PC suddenly says, uh, Windows updates are done, do you want to reboot now, when it's mid-afternoon on a sunny June um, day, when we're generating yep. lots of solar power, maybe there's a good amount of wind power coming in from offshore. And yeah, those are the, the times when Windows updates, which historically takes a lot of CPU power and disk, even if it's solid state, energy to actually process those updates other things they've done and microsoft edge starts faster than ever before saves memory with uh, features like sleeping tabs which is common across the entire chromium range so chrome has got this feature as well and that saves up to 83 percent of memory for background tabs so the ones that you ha aren't looking at in active time and the other one is the new teams app for windows is twice as fast with using half the resources now this is the teams that now i built into windows I think this is going to make a big difference to a lot of people. Um, this is clearly heading towards corporate deployments as well. Um, and the, the change they're making here is that historically Teams was based on effectively a, a shipped uh, sort of built-in version of Chrome. Uh, they've now moved away from that and into the built-in system Edge web view, um, delivering huge performance in, uh, enhancements. Hopefully, we're going to see that rolled out across uh, all of the sort of Microsoft productivity suite. I think that's going to be a real, real win for a lot of Teams users. Yeah, the Teams corporate edition is in preview at the moment, the version 2 with the uh, these improvements. I have been running it. It is noticeably faster, noticeably less resources in use. It still has its quirks because it is a preview release, but it is certainly showing that <laughs> when that comes out, it's going to make a lot of people in a lot of organizations very happy. Yeah. Uh, and then finally in the news, um, Google, we're going to be talking lots more about their uh, announcements from Google I.O. in a moment. Um, however, they have just lost a £32.5 million, pound, uh, sorry, million dollar, US dollar, um, in a patent dispute with Sonos. Um, so Sonos, the makers of uh, some multi-room audio systems. Um, and uh, Google uh, has... Uh, 
been directed to compensate them with uh, $32.5 million, um, something that actually went to, uh, went to jury trial. It didn't, uh, it didn't settle out of court. Um, so, uh, yep, interesting to, uh, to see that. Uh, basically, Sonos um, uh, asserted that Google were infringing six patents, actually only one. Um, the other five were, were either dismissed as not valid or, or not infringed, uh, but nonetheless, clearly a, a big win for uh, for Sonos. Doesn't sound a lot. A lot when you say when you see that the damages is two dollars thirty per unit. So in other words, that's per item that Google shipped, and are now paying royalties on it to Sonos. But they have shipped fourteen million units. So. Hence the thirty-two and a half million. And this is the thing: is uh, yeah, that's you know, two two dollars has just been added to their material cost. Exactly. For every Google device that that uses this technology that 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 they ship from now on. So yeah, that's that's going to be a substantial portion of their costs. Yes, absolutely. Uh, whether it'll make an impact to the consumer price is anyone's guess. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But after the break... Either that or they'll just uh, they'll probably just rework it so it uses something slightly different and uh, avoids the, uh, the patent in the future. Exactly. But after the break, we'll be looking at all of the stuff from Google I.O. 2023. Cambridge 105 Radio. Have you ever thought about volunteering? Here at Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm Lucy Malazzo, and five years ago, I did just that. I wanted to learn about radio and kind of thought I could help out behind the scenes. Since then, I've read the news, have woken up to a very early alarm for Cambridge breakfast and recorded promos like this one. Right now, Cambridge 105 Radio is looking for new volunteers to join the team. And if you fancy getting involved, visit cambridge105.co.uk slash volunteer. There's something for everyone at Cambridge's most exciting venue, the Town & Gown Pub & Theatre. Housed on Market Passage in the Old Art Cinema Building, the Town & Gown combines a pub experience with a theatre experience. We host the best of professional fringe, cabaret and comedy nights in our intimate 100-seater theatre. The up-close and personal kind of performances that create a truly unique experience. Our menu is contemporary British pub food, featuring pub classics and international twists on British comfort food. We offer casual dining in our main bar, formal dining in our dining areas and a pre-theatre dining package for theatre-goers. To check out our menus and programme of theatre and events, visit townandgown.co.uk or better still, just pop in and see us on Market Passage. Throughout the day, from the Cambridge News Desk, we never tire of bringing you, from the Cambridge News Desk, the day's news. At the Cambridge News Desk, national, local, opinion, debate, sport, weather, travel and entertainment. From the Cambridge News Desk, connecting the city and South Cambridgeshire, wherever you are. At the Cambridge News Desk, Cambridge 105 Radio. We're talking this week uh, about the Google I.O. So this is their, uh, their developer conference. Um, it's held every year, uh, well, has been traditionally held every year in Mountain View, California. Um, last year was the first one that went back to being in person after a few years of, uh, of virtual. Uh, but of course, we've now seen with a lot of these events, you know, that added online element and that's continued this year. Yes, and the name I.O. is taken from the number Google, which is the one representing the one, uh, the I representing the one in Google and the zero representing the first zero in the number, which is a long number. Anyway, the format of it is similar to Google's... 
developer I, days. I think that's a, a tenuous uh, a tenuous definition for, uh, from uh, from Google there because uh, uh, if you ask pretty much any sort of software or or indeed electronics engineer and say IO they'll think oh input output that's, mm-hmm. yeah that, that's what that normally means I, uh, I think to try and redefine that in terms of ones and zeros is, I, mm, I think someone in best. Google's marketing were um, feeling a bit punny anyway um, lots of announcements at the event but AI was the focus of the event it was certainly the one that um, was getting slotted into every single product I watched a bunch of the keynote stuff and uh, it was case of and AI and AI and AI so, what does that mean for users of Google's products? Ah, yes, so there's there's a lot that sort of got got added in, and, and we've talked a little bit about Bard uh, in the past. This is their uh, their answer to ChatGPT. Uh, which is developed by OpenAI, backed by Microsoft. Uh, but Google's Bard is the, uh, the their uh, their take on this. Um, there's no waiting list anymore, um, so it had been a sort of invitation only. Um, that's now no longer the case. Available in just over 180 different regions. Um, so notable by its absence is uh, is much of Europe, um, because they're they're not quite earned out some of the uh, the data protection yes. uh, side of things um but uk i think is is fair game on bard now uh, yes yeah, certainly it was uk was fairly early on uh, mainly because of something like not being part of the eu and um the other important thing is that they have launched it in 40 language uh, well they're aiming for 40 languages uh, in the near future not sure exactly how many are live right now but they are also aiming to have japanese and korean which is going to be a, an interesting challenge i'm willing to bet on that one yeah um continuing the ai theme for a second uh, there, there was some notes of, of responsible ai um and i thought this was an interesting one because uh if you do a google image search there's now going to be a uh an about this image tool in there that tries to show you if one of the results that you're seeing is an AI generated image. Yes. And this is this is an interesting one because I saw a story floating around a couple of days ago where somebody had uh, sort of seen floating past on social media an ostensibly adorable image of a, a baby peacock um, and it looked like a big peacock with all the sort of you know, colourful tail feathers just smaller and the person saw this and thought, hang on, that's not what they look like. I've seen these in real life. Um, and it wasn't. It was a an AI-generated image of show me what a peacock would look like if it was a baby. Um, <laughs> except that if you now search for that um, in you know, Google Image Search or, or other image search engines, that was all you got. All the top results were this completely fake AI-generated image. And they'd completely pushed all of the actual genuine peacock chicks off the bottom of the first page of results um and if you didn't know better you think oh well, of course that's what the, the, the peacock chick looks like um so I, I think that's that's definitely something we're going to see some interesting challenges with uh, in the future um good to see that the likes of google are bringing some, some tools in hopefully the ai that determines whether something is ai generated is good enough to outsmart the ai that generates the image in the first place yes whether you'll be able to tell google image search i want pictures of thing and please exclude anything ai generated that would be a useful yes. addition to image search or just give me all the things that are ai generated only 
and um, yes. be able to see that sort of content in a, in a different light. Was this a human or was it a machine that created this? Uh, moving into maps, something that a lot of us use every day to get around and about and actually uh, make our lives easier as far as travel is concerned. They are adding a new immersive view for routes feature. Only in selected cities to start with, but this is similar to we saw um, buildings only available in selected cities before they got more data and managed to put more building detail in, before we got street view everywhere. You know, it's one of those things that they grow it as they, they manage to. But this will let you do a almost a fly-through of your route, effectively that street view image, but as a video stream to see the route you're going to follow, including all the complicated bits like... Um, traffic congestion, bike lanes, level crossings, all those things that, are, that make travel challenging, um, they'll be able to simulate for you in, uh, in your, your route planning. And I, I can imagine that could be really useful, particularly if you're perhaps a less confident uh, driver or traveller. And it, I should say it's, it's not just driving directions. They've also got uh, uh, cycling and walking directions yep. as well as, as part of this. Um, so, yeah, if, if it's an unfamiliar familiar area. Uh, Cambridge sadly not on the list, but London is, uh, as well as a lot of other capital cities um, for that initial rollout. Um, yeah, I, w I want to go to this place in London by bike. Show me all the bits that I'm going to need to see before I start travelling. Hopefully for a, a bunch of people that's going to make that a much less stressful, a much less scary experience because you know what to expect. Um, rather than having to, to figure it out in the heat of the moment. Yeah, and I think hitting capital cities, popular capital cities, I mean, they've got all the data that they can tell which are the cities that get used in maps the way that people want to use them. So the cities that are getting it to start with over the next few months, Amsterdam, Berlin, Dublin, uh, Florence, Vegas, London, as you said, uh, LA, Miami, New York, Paris, San Francisco, San Jose, Seattle, Tokyo and Venice. And that'll be on Google Maps on Android as well as iOS. The uh, the little side note that I did notice here was uh, there's also a thing that says, show me what the weather would look like tomorrow nice. in London. Nice. So it's not just this sort of slightly abstract, oh, well, it'll be a bit cloudy. It's like, no, this is what London looks like in the cloud. This is what London looks like when it's raining, when it's snowing, when it's sunny. Um, so I, th I thought that was just quite a uh, quite a neat little touch. Very cool. Uh, moving over to uh, photo editing and Google's new Magic Editor is quite interesting that, um, yeah... We've just mentioned, will you be able to detect if a, uh, an image has been AI manipulated and then we're going to have a tool that allows you to AI manipulate things in real time is going to be quite interesting. So this is going to allow yes. you to recompose your photos to fix problems that you managed to get wrong when you took the original photo. And, and I've... I've certainly taken a few photos like that myself one the other day i, I managed to uh take it in uh, sort of very wide angle view and of course that makes it incredibly easy to put your finger over the corner of the lens <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're doing it from a, a a sort of low down angle or something like that to get the shot you want um then suddenly oh there it is thankfully only over a bit of a sky but wouldn't it be nice if i could just take out that that corner blob fill in the corner of the sky make it look like it yeah, it wasn't there. I'm not missing any actual important detail. But yeah, that'll make for a much better photo. Magic Editor, Magic Compose, hopefully now bringing that sort of uh, uh, tool to you without having to be a Photoshop expert. Yes. One that's a little bit creepy, but I can see this is going to be very useful, is a, uh, a new tool for basically dubbing video, 
but it does better than that. It dubs it and it resynchronizes the person's lips with the new dialogue. Now this is yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about this because <laughs> I, I can understand why people want to do it, but I think especially if it does a good job of it. You sort of don't want it to do a very good job. You want it to, to be plausible, but only on a first glance and really obvious once you actually look closely, because otherwise you can get you know, a bit of video for uh, of public figures, and we've, you know, we've probably all seen like the Cassette Boy videos and, and that sort of thing, where they you know, very obviously stitch together lots of different clips of people to, to make, uh, you know, make them say what they want. Um, if that's now not very obvious and instead it's um you know it's very subtly done and very hard to tell the difference then you can say oh well i've got a video of so and so saying such and such oh that could be a problem to defend yes they're calling this universal translator but i think it's going to have to have that scrutiny of the uh responsible ai again and is it ethical on what's being done um we've got a bunch more things to look at uh after another short break um, but we'll be looking at some of the new devices from google in the pixel range cambridge 105 radio in 1960s cambridge the rolling stones performed at the rex ballroom chris farlow was on stage at the alley club and helen shapiro played live at the regal cinema on sunday mornings john gannon takes you back to the swinging 60s with music and memories John Gannon's 60s scene, Sunday mornings at 8 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. So, you want to promote and grow your business? Well, here's an idea. Get it in front of more people with a city centre location. Get a stall at Cambridge Market. With thousands of local customers, a stall at our bustling traditional market is the perfect place to promote your business and your products to potential customers. Get a stall from just £10 a day. Visit cambridge.gov.uk slash markets to get your application started today. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Sarah, one of CKLG's friendly tax advisors. Cambridge has one of the highest proportions of startups and early stage businesses in the UK. If you have an idea for a new business and are ready to get started, we can help you tackle the accounting, tax and financial challenges you will encounter. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life You're listening to The Gadget Guide on Cambridge 105 Radio. Uh, Rob and Lawrence, and we're talking about some of the new announcements at Google's I.O. uh, developer conference and some of the Pixel range. Yeah, just quickly before that, one of the big things that they mentioned a lot of is Palm 2, which I then had to go and look up. it stands for the Pathways Language Model, which is a, well, version one was a 540 billion parameter transformer based large language model developed by Google AI. So Palm 2, I'm guessing, is bigger, but they're also developing a security and a medical version for doing interesting stuff in those spaces. Anyway, as we said, Google devices. Yes, so uh, we've got the uh, three new ones to look at uh starting off with the uh, the pixel 7a uh, so this is their uh, their latest phone 
Yep, available in the UK already. Uh, cheaper than the standard Pixel 7. It's got the smaller screen, the 6.1-inch screen versus the 6.4 of the bigger brother Pixel 7. Uh, slightly higher pixel density camera, um, but, uh, yeah, a, a respectable phone. I, I certainly wouldn't object to a Pixel 7a as a day-to-day -day phone. It's very competent and capable. And the advantage of the Pixel range, of course, is that they get all the security updates pretty much before everyone else. Yes, and also that guaranteed lifespan. So I think it's three years from uh, from device manufacture uh, on all of the, the Google devices. So you know that it's going to last at least a few years when you buy it. Um, $500, um, the, uh, the US list price. If that came in at £400, I, I think that would be pretty reasonable. And especially with uh, the, the general sort of tendency of the, the phone market to keep going up in price, that, that feels like a pretty good value uh, phone for someone who wants a decent device but doesn't necessarily need the fastest, the highest uh, specification one. They just want a, uh, a sensible, reliable, uh, reasonably performing uh, Android phone. Yeah, good trade-in offers as well. So if you have an existing phone... You can get money off when you buy a new Pixel phone from Google. Uh, Pixel 7a starting at 449 uh, discounts for trade-ins, as I said. Nice. Um, moving over, still in the phone world, sort of, uh, the Pixel Fold. So <laughs> We love <laughs> folding phones, on, uh, don't on we? And uh, <laughs> they, they never seem to stick around for too long on account of people sit on them or bend them backwards or try and peel the screen cover off or anything like that but no google are uh, having a go let's see how this works out for them um but it's basically a phone that folds out and then you get something that's sort of twice the screen size and square i'm not quite sure why why you want it to be honest just get a tablet if you do want something with a bigger screen um but the the pixel fold is <laughs> is coming soon so speaking of the pixel tablet um which is quite interesting in that it is a tablet that can also then become effectively a smart screen, smart home device hub thing just by dropping it onto a docking station, which is included. So this is a, a change from a lot of manufacturers where things like that are extra. Uh, it is a £600 device, um, so it is, it is not a cheap product in the range. That's for the 128 gigabyte model, the 256 gig is a hundred pounds more um but basically it's it's not just a tablet it's also then that home hub uh video streaming device because it's got cameras in it um and i'm actually quite taken by this i see who, who was it i want to say motorola had a go at this um some years back with a phone that docked into yep. a laptop that docked into a tv um and it never really went everywhere uh, anywhere because uh, and I think I said this at the time, the cloud is a thing. You don't need it to be the same device that does all those functions. You just need the same data. Um, so you don't necessarily need your actual phone to become your laptop. You just need all the photos you took on the phone to be available when you're using a laptop. And I can't help but feel that the same thing is going to be true of the Pixel tablet. And it looks like a very competent tablet, but uh, something like an Echo Show is is cheap enough. You know, just get a separate home hub this, this home is, controller it digital is photo frame a, a nearly 11 inch tablet so it is quite a nice device to do things like watch tv and video and youtube and so on so yeah i think it possibly has a place possibly has a place yeah well, anyway uh, all this new stuff from google and um yeah it's just uh, stuff to watch and see what uh, what 
what uh, comes from Apple next week at the Worldwide Developer Conference. No doubt we'll be chatting about that in a couple of weeks' time on the next Gadget Guide. The Gadget Guide on Cambridge 105 Radio.